Good morning, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Thank you, Romeo. It's good to have an enthusiastic hello. So as has been said, uh, we plan to cover this morning the songs or the psalm of David. Now, before we delve into the psalms, um, I have some introductory statements before we delve into the meat or into the, into the word of God. Now, we have been uh, studying 1 Samuel and we've gone through the life of, first, uh, gone through the life of Samuel and we've been introduced to Saul and last week we were introduced to David. Now, what's unique about David is that when we contrast him with Saul, if we look from the outside, we say, David is a far greater sinner than Saul. If we, if we would compare the life of Saul and the, and the life of David, and we look at what Saul did, Saul disobeyed the word of the Lord. Saul went to a, a sorceress. But David, but David committed adultery. And then he followed it with murder. Yet it is said of one, Saul, he has been removed. The kingdom had been taken away from Saul because of his sin. Yet when we look at David... God himself would declare of David, here's a man after my own heart. So my question to you is, why is David a man after God's own heart? When, when we look at it, he seems to be far worse. And the, the answer is quite simple. Is that Saul never knew God. Saul never knew God. If we look there when, he, when the kingdom was taken away from him in 1 Samuel chapter 13. It says in verse 14, it says, But now your kingdom shall, shall not continue. The Lord saying this to Saul. The Lord has sought himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the word of the Lord. Now, now follow this. When Saul hears these words, that the kingdom has been taken away from his hand, he, he is torn, he's upset. And, uh, now I lost the verse here. Excuse me. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, in chapter 15, we read of, of Saul crying to Samuel. When Samuel said, Listen, the kingdom has been removed from your hands because you disobeyed, because you did not obey the word of the Lord, because you did not utterly consume Amalek and the king. And Saul cries and weeps and says, listen, Saul, just, just, or Samuel, please, please just, just stay with me, he says. And he pleads with him. He says, listen, in verse 30, he says, then he said, I have sinned. Well, that's good. He, he recognizes his sin. He says, yet honor me now, please, before the elders and my people and before Israel and return with me. You see, he wasn't so much broken up over the, the fact that he had sinned. But he was broken up and torn up over the fact that he lost the kingdom. And he wanted Samuel to come with him to save face before the people. 
And we see the heart of Samuel was never with the Lord. He never knew the Lord God. Yet instead of David, he's a man after God's own heart. And though, and though the fact that David fell and sinned gravely, we see God would still call him that. Give him that, that glorious title, a man after God's own heart. And the wonderful thing about the story of David is we see the entire gamut of humanity. From the best that David was to the worst that he was. To the young man who had faith in his God and would stand up front of giants. To the man who would commit adultery and murder. And yet through it all, God saw him through. Yet through it all, God was with him. And God redeemed him and loved him. And he loved God. You know, it's, it's very aptly put by the Lord that he was a man after God's own heart. We haven't gotten to this, but later in his life, at the end of his life, he says... I live in a house of cedar, yet my Lord lives in a tent of curtains. He says, I want to build the Lord a house. I want to build him a house. I can't live in a house of cedar when my Lord is in a tent. And the Lord says to him, out of all the years I've traveled from tent to tent, I've led my people, I've led my judges, never have I said Why have you built me a house? Yet, I do want a house. Yet, I do want a house built for me. The most precious thing about David's heart is in that very example, he anticipates the desires of the living God. God did not ask for a house, yet here he is anticipating There is no greater showing of love, no greater showing of caring than to anticipate the wants and the needs of those whom we love. David truly was a man after God's own heart. And having having the Spirit of God dwell upon him, we read about that uh, last week. The Lord used them in a mighty way. Not just in Israel, but in the ministry of songs. David penned through the Holy Spirit 73 psalms out of the 150 psalms we have in the book of Psalms. That's a lot of psalms. That's close to half. Half of this great book of psalms that we have, he wrote almost half of them. One man, led by the Holy Spirit, penned some of the most beautiful words. You know, some, one of the most beautiful things about the Psalms, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a very musical person, I'm really not. I, I, I wish I was. I can appreciate the words. For the Psalms declare to us, in beautiful form, in beautiful words, what we feel inside. It declares to us 
a reality that's inside. When we stand sometimes, and and, and you probably caught this, when I stand up and I begin to preach or I begin to to share from the Word of God, and and, and I'm overwhelmed by the love of God, words cannot seem to come out. I'm stumped. Nothing can seem to describe it. Yet the Holy Spirit would inspire David to write, as a little kid quoted this morning, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. That's the exact expression of of a heart that loves the living God, that loves what He has done for Him. Yet I could have never come up with those words. But I'm thankful for the Psalms. Now his Psalms, there's 73 of them. There's many different categories. Some he wrote during specific events. Now I'm giving you all this information because I, I, I did a lot of learning. I've never really spent time learning about the Psalms. And I did this week. And I, and I hope you... You're, you're, you're blessed by it as I am. Because there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge in the book of Psalms. A lot of times we read the Psalms and, and you say those are very wonderful poetic words, very nice. But the reality is, listen, the New Testament writers quoted from the book of Psalms more times than any other book with the exception of one book, the book of Isaiah. So the, so the apostles, when they penned, inspired by the Holy Spirit, went to the Psalms quite often. So we should neglect, as I, I, I can admittedly say, I neglect the Psalms from time to time. There's too many of them. I can't seem to wrap my mind around them. Yet there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge in them. So we see that there's 73 Psalms of David. Some of them are, are historical in their context. What do I mean by that? Well, let me illustrate that, uh, that point very quickly. Turn to, to Psalms 3. Psalms 3, before we even begin to read the the, the Psalms, there's a little header. It says, Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so we read that little caption, and we know that that David penned these words when he was fleeing from his very son, Absalom, who usurped the throne from him. And we begin to, to, to enter into the emotions of David as he fled Jerusalem. And we read these words, Lord, how they have increased those who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. And if you recall that account of David there in 2 Samuel, as he flees with his servants, flees with his mighty men out of Jerusalem, and and news started coming in time and time again. Ahithophel has sided with, 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 with Absalom. Oh, and how his heart was torn. And then the next person would come. And more bad news. And those who were against them began to increase. And here is David penning this psalm. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. And there, when, when David was fleeing and comes to the top of Mount Olivet, here comes Shimei, son of Gera, a relative of Saul, cursing him. And saying, you're a rogue, you, you, you need to flee, you're accursed of God, he would say. 
And then we have this marvelous verse. He says, but you, O Lord, are my shield. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry to the Lord with my voice. And he hears me from his holy hill. The faith of the man. We get a glimpse of the faith of the man. In, in, in this time of turmoil in his life, here is his, his faith coming forth. Recognizing that the, the, the calamity that's occurred. Does that matter because his Lord is upon Zion, his holy hill. He is in control of all things. And verse 5, by far is my favorite. He says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. There in that time of trial, there in that time of danger, his life was threatened. The Lord would give a peace to his servant David, one in which he could sleep. He could sleep and he would rise again and say, the Lord has sustained me. And that's just one example. There's about 14 of these Psalms that are scattered throughout his life. But this morning, as I've gone already too long, I want to concentrate on the most famous of all Psalms. You know, it was said of, it said of, of John 3.16, it is the, the most common or the most known verse of all the Bible. And I would say that Psalms 23 is probably the same thing. It's the most common, the most well-known Psalms in the Old Testament. You can ask unbelievers. They'll recognize the words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In fact, some of the words of these Psalms are made up to secular hymns. Secular, not secular hymns. Secular songs, believe it or not. They're not hymns at all. So I, I want to take a look at it with you and meditate upon this great song, Psalm 23. And let, let, us, let us pause now and read Psalms 23. And let us meditate upon some of these things. Psalms 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Bless, blessed be his name. Now there's a lot of debate as to when this hymn was penned by David. Some scholars would say that, that this, this hymn was it was penned by David at the, at the very beginning, you know, when, when, when the experience of a shepherd boy was, was fresh in his mind. And others would say, no, it was in the middle of his life during, during his exile. And others would say, no, he, he penned it when he was late in life. 
Now, I'm not a scholar by any, any means. But I would tend to agree with the ones who would believe he penned it later in his life. For in his doctrine, for in his words of this psalm, it's one of a mature believer. It's one of one who, who've walked with the Lord, who've experienced these things. One who could look back at his life and see the, 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 the valleys of the shadows of death and see the Lord with him. And so we're going to take a look at this psalm of David. The psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Now a clause has to be put placed here. Before you can go on and claim the promises, claim the benefits of this psalms, something first has to be dealt with. Something first has to be true in your heart. The Lord is my shepherd. You can't claim these benefits. You cannot claim these promises if you don't know the Lord. You may know of the Lord, but do you know him as your shepherd? And what he's done for you. Amen. You know, it's, 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 it's also interesting that the Holy Spirit would play Psalms 23 right after Psalms 22. Psalm 22, and, and, and I wish we had time, it's a great messianic psalm about, about the crucifixion, the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, the Psalms 22, if you look down, ends this way, that He, being Christ, has done this. He has done this. In other words, in the New Testament translation of that phrase would be, It is finished. It is finished. And because it is finished... We sinners can claim the Lord as my Savior. Because He finished the work, He is my Lord. So I tell you this morning, if you cannot claim the Lord as your shepherd, you have to go back. You have to go back to Calvary. You have to go back to Psalms 22. You have to see the suffering that he, that, he, that he took on for our sins, for the sins of the world. You have to make him your shepherd. One of the most beautiful things about this psalm is how personal it is. When David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would pen these words, The Lord is my shepherd. David being the lamb and the Lord being the shepherd. He says, he's my shepherd. He didn't say, he's our shepherd. He said, mine. Our God, yes, he, he's, he's the God of the church. He's the head of the church, absolutely. And he loves all believers. But listen, he loves you. He wants a, a relationship with you. He's a personal God who knows you and loves you. And we, like David, could say, he's my shepherd. I claim upon these words because he's my God. You know, it's a wonder. We, we talked about it this morning. The word, the Lord there. In Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh. 
Jehovah. Jehovah is my shepherd. The beautiful thing that he would label himself Jehovah, the great I am. The covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God, the God who, who is from time and time again seen in Scripture reaching out to humanity, reaching out to redeem humanity. He is the shepherd. The great I am. The self-sufficient God. The God who is satisfied in himself. Who has perfect fellowship in himself. Who needs nothing outside himself. Yet, wants to know you and knows you. And wants to be your shepherd. Oh, wonders of wonders. That omniscient, omnipotent God, Jehovah, wants anything to do with us. David would pen these words in Psalms 8. When I look at the work, your handiwork in the heavens and the sun and the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you visited him? That you crown him with glory and honor. Yet Jehovah knows you. Jehovah wants to be your shepherd. Blessed be his name. We're undeserving of such a privilege. We're undeserving of such a God. Yet, he deemed it to be so. And we see, and I have to move quickly because time has fleeted us, but we see that he is my shepherd. And the first promise he gives us, I shall not want. I shall not want. The Darby translation puts it this way. I shall lack nothing. When the Lord is our shepherd... When the Lord is our shepherd, we shall lack nothing. Now, we have to expound on that. What does it mean to lack nothing? Well, an example can be given. There in Deuteronomy chapter 2, when the Lord was speaking to the children of Israel and reminded them how he led them, how he led them through the wilderness for 40 years or 40 40 years, In the wilderness, he said, you lacked nothing. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, their sandals never wore out. They were never hungry. There was manna provided for them. And then when there was a need for water, he provided water. And you see, these very same principles carry on to you and I here in in this dispensation of grace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says that he, being Christ, will supply all your needs. And so we stand here as redeemed lambs of God, standing upon that promise. Now, what does it mean that he will supply our needs? Well, we have to be careful there. Because there's a lot of 
misnomers about this. God promises to to take care of your needs. Needs are not what? Wants. So when, in this day, when when preachers get up and, and talk about the prosperity gospel... How if you have enough faith, the Lord will bless you with material things. And it takes the blessing which God blesses us with all, in all spirit, in all heavenly places. And makes it a physical thing. It's blasphemy. For Paul in that very same epistle will talk about his own walk with the Lord. How the Lord taught him to be content when there is plenty And when there is want. To be satisfied when there was plenty to eat. And when there was very little to eat. And this is the Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul not have enough faith? Far from it. Yet the Lord promises to take care of our needs. Not our wants. We have to be careful with that. Because sometimes we we may have calamity in our in our lives and we may sit there in in our perfect little world in our perfect little bubble it bursts and we cry out to the lord why lord i i I may have to sell my house the house that i work so hard on the house that i love and move into an apartment so be it take it as a trial unto the lord take it as a trial unto your faith He will take care of our needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The rest and security we have in Him. Now, I'm not a shepherd by any stretch of my imagination. In fact, I've only seen a sheep up close once, and I, didn't even, I was too scared to touch it. So I don't know much. All I know is what I read. Now, according to what shepherds say, a, a, a lamb or sheep will not lie down if it's in an uncomfortable place. Will not lie down if, it's not, if it doesn't feel safe. Will not lie down in a stony place, in a hard place. These sheep are very finicky. Yet we read that the Lord makes us to lie down in green pastures. And He and, and He leads us to still waters. You know. There is a peace and a security in Jesus Christ. There's a peace and security that, that, that surpasses all understanding. Yet I want you to take a look at the action or the verb I should say in that verse. It says, He leads. He leads me to still waters. You know, there, there's an implication there that if He leads to still water, There's a responsibility on the sheep to do what? To follow. To follow. And you say to me, well, listen, sometimes my life is not very peaceful. 
Sometimes there's turmoil in my life. What is going on? Yes, sometimes there is testing of your faith. And yes, that that is God-ordained. But sometimes there is suffering in our lives because of consequences, because of actions that we do. Because maybe we're not following the great shepherd. We're not following the good shepherd which gives us life for the sheep. We, like sheep, have gone astray, everyone to his own way. If we don't find ourselves in the rest and security of the good shepherd, we should take a hard look at our hearts and our lives. We should take a look at where we stand, where we are. Are we seeking our own benefit? Are we seeking our will? Are we seeking his will? Where are we? But if we have wandered away, we have wandered away from the good shepherd. And sheep do this all the time. They wander away. Even though there is safety and security with the shepherd. They wander away. From the shepherd who loves them. And you may say, well, what happens then? Well, look at the next phrase or the next verses. It says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Praise be to his name. That we don't have to walk upon this earth a perfect life. We don't have to walk on this earth in absolute perfection. Because we can't. And we will turn to the right and we will turn to the left. And the good shepherd will let us sometimes wonder. Because we think we know best. We think we know what the Lord wants. We think we know what's best for our lives. And he lets us take the wheel, as it were. And when we make a mess of things, when we find ourselves flat on our behinds, he doesn't say, well, too bad for you. It was your choice. He didn't say, now you're going to take, taste your own medicine, aren't you? No, he very gladly what? Restores. He restores our soul. Listen, I, I, I skipped this but because of lack of time, but I, he is the good shepherd. John 10 says he is the good shepherd. Our Lord is portrayed as a shepherd throughout Scripture. It goes far beyond just Psalms. In, in Genesis chapter 48, there Jacob, at the end of his life, as he's blessing Joseph's son, he says, the God of my father Jacob, I mean, the God of my father Abraham and Isaac, says, he has fed me all the days of my life. That word fed is shepherded. Here is this man who's lived a life of ups and down toils and turmoils because of his wants, because of his desires. And at the end of it, he says, he shepherded me all the days of my life. He was there moment by moment, never forsook me. He is the good shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40 would describe the Lord as a shepherd who, who carries the young lambs. Who gives rest to those who are weak. He is a kind and good and gentle shepherd. He knows what we want. He knows what we need. All we have to do is obey his voice. All we have to do is heed to his leading 
And praise be to God, he's one when a lamb would wander off, he'd go after it. He's the, he's the, he's a shepherd who cares about the one lamb. He doesn't overlook the one out of the a hundred. But he would go and trial and, and find that one lamb. And rejoice when he restores it. He rejoices when one lamb comes back to him. He is the good shepherd. He restores the soul. He leads. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads his sheep in path of righteousness. For his name's sake. What does it mean for his name's sake? Why does he lead us in paths of righteousness? Why does it matter? What's the big deal with his name? Well, it's a huge deal. There's great honor in his name. There's great glory in his name. You remember in the story of Pharaoh, when Moses would come before him, he says, the Lord God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says in his, in his arrogance, who is the Lord God that I should heed his voice? And the Lord God would show him. One time. And, and, and magicians would come and, 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 oh, look, look, we can turn water into blood. And his heart, he would harden his own heart. And a second time with the frogs. And, and his magicians would come and do the same thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't have to believe in this God. My magicians could do the same thing. He can't. And then comes the third plague. And that third plague, the magicians turn to him and says, listen, we can't do this. We can't do this. This has the signature, the finger of God upon it. Who is the Lord God? The God who controls all things. The God who breaks down your idols and makes them nothing. He is the Lord God. And what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his own heart. And the Lord gives him one more chance. The Lord gives him one more chance. And again... Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And at that point, the Lord says, now, because I have revealed myself to you four times, now you're going to be an example to the world. Now I'm going to harden your heart. Why? Because of his namesake. Because of his namesake. That's just one example. You think of Moses there when the Lord was fed up with the children of Israel and said, Moses, I move out of the way because I'm going to destroy them with my anger. And Moses intercedes for the people. Displaying the heart of God. And he says, and he pleads for them on this basis, on this stance he stands upon. He says, what about your name? What will they say? He took them out, but he could not bring them in. You see, Moses understood the honor of his name. Why does he lead us in path of righteousness? Because of the honor of his name. Saints, I I, I pray that in my life and in your life, that we walk in all that we do for the sake of the honor of his name. That we be acutely aware of what we do. Because it reflects on the honor of his name. It's all about the honor of his name. And his name alone. Moving quickly. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Yes, there is security and safety in the Lord when we follow the shepherd. But it does not mean that we're not going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Many would say that this earth is the valley of the shadow of death. There was a king in England a long time ago called Edward the Confessor. And when he died, he said these words. People were mourning for him. And he was in his deathbed and he said, listen. I leave the land of the dying. I hope to see my Lord in the land of the living. Wonderful words. You see, we walk upon this earth and this is the land of the dying. This is the valley of the shadow of death. I understand that. But there is great joy in what comes after. Yes, and the psalm does deal with death. I'm not saying that that it's not speaking of death. Yes, it could speak of death. But it's speaking upon this earth. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We walk upon this earth and with, with all kinds of turmoil and trouble, exterior and interior, internal to ours. Yet we should not fear. Because, why? For you are with me. We can claim as Jacob, he fed me all the days of my life. Looking back, you can look at your life and you can see the fingerprint of God time and time again. He's with you. The great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd is with us in this life. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Speaking of this word. Again, moving quickly, he prepares a table before the presence of my enemy and he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. You know, the Christian life is filled with conflict. And a commentator put it this way, and I thought he did it. He said, he said it beautifully. The Christian life is filled with conflict and with a banqueting table. You see, we may, we may have conflict in our lives. We, may have, we have enemies outside of us trying to get us down, trying to discourage us, whether, whether it be co-workers or family members or, or, or Satan himself, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have enemies. Yet the Lord sets a banqueting table before us. Yet the Lord seeks to sustain us. Yet the Lord, before your enemies, seeks to have you go through it victoriously. It says that he anoints my, my head with oil. And I think of the oil of the high priest. There, when the Lord would command Aaron to be anointed. And this oil was special. It said of this oil that, that it should not touch flesh. It was to be poured upon his head. It's not supposed to touch flesh. And two, it's not supposed to be imitated. Which speaks to us of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with sinful flesh. Has no part in it. And it cannot be imitated. As much as uh, some, some meanings would want to... To, to feel and, and, and imitate the, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it cannot be imitated. And the psalmist would say, my cup runs over. His anointing, as 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 would say, 
We're anointed by the Holy Spirit. And His anointing is not one of a little bit or a portion, but is one of abundance. One of abundance. He's not a stingy God. He's one who gives and gives freely. And then you have these last two phrases. Oh, the relationship David had with the Lord, to, to pen these words. He says, surely. He, a commentary will put it this way. The word surely in the Greek can be translated now. Now goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Saints, I... I want us to lay hold of that promise. That now goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. That doesn't mean our lives are going to be peachy and everything perfect. But know that through the the, the peaks and the valleys of life, God's goodness is with us and His mercy is upon us. He's never going to give us something we can't handle. He's never going to not give us the grace to bear it and to go through the difficult times. He is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And lastly, we have that great phrase, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, in chapter in, in, in Psalms 27, David pens these words. He says, One thing I seek and one thing I pray for, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Here in this this psalm, he comes to the realization that he's good shepherd. The good shepherd who loves him. He doesn't have to hope for it. But he knows it. He knows that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, Boyd Nicholson, as he told his testimony, he spoke of his grandfather, John Nicholson, there in Ireland, a preacher. And he said right before he turned 85, a week before he turned 85, he he became ill. And a day before he turned 85, he passed away. And he says how... His mother was there at, his, at, his, at her father's bedside, at his grandfather's bedside. And the last word this man said before he passed away, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he went to be with his Lord. And it says those words shook Boy Nicholson so much that it led him to the Lord. The example of his grandfather's life. The testimony. Listen, this world is terrified of death. The world is terrified of what comes after the grave. You and I, those who claim upon the promises of the great shepherd, we have great victory in death. For me to to live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul would say. And we could claim upon the truth. That we will dwell in his house forever. Blessed be his name. Let us pray. Our heavenly God and Father, we thank you 
We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your gentleness. We thank you for your patience. We thank you, Lord, because we are rebellious lambs. We are we're sheep always wandering to the left, to the right, seeking our own, Lord. Yet you seek to restore us. Yet you seek to lead us to quiet waters, to good green pastures. Lord, help us to follow. Help us to follow in meekness. Lord, I ask that your word would bless our hearts and lay hold of it, Lord. And let us not just walk away having a, 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 a good feeling, Lord, but, but l- let it take action, Lord. Let, it, let us humbly and simply follow and obey the good shepherd, Lord. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's precious name, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.